On today's episode, you'll hear all about coyotes and their biology. We'll talk about this amazing critter and its natural range change into Florida. So stay tuned and learn more. Welcome to Naturally Florida, a podcast about Florida's natural areas and the wild things that live here. I'm Lara Milligan. And I'm Shannon Carnavali. This podcast is brought to you by UF IFAS Extension in Polk and Pinellas Counties. On one of our recent episodes, we were discussing terminology surrounding native, non-native, and invasive species and how we can talk about those things. Well, one of the terms that we brought up was range change. And to give you an example of range change, we used a number of species. Today, we're going to talk about one of those species, coyotes. And we're going to really explore everything there is to know about coyotes in Florida and how they epitomize this term of range change. Right, Lara? Yeah, for sure. And I could talk all day about coyotes, so I'm going try and, <laughs> to try and stay on track. But yeah, they're one of the really common species that is brought up, as Shannon mentioned, related to range change. Because historically, like if we're talking here in Florida, they weren't always here. Yeah. Their historic range, their natural range was like central United States and Western United States. And then they did this range change thing, which we'll talk a little bit more about. <laughs> you know, they expanded to the Northwest and the Northeast, and then most recently out East and South. They have been documented in every single county in Florida, so there's no escaping them. <laughs> they are everywhere. <laughs> and just briefly, we generally talk about their range change. There was a couple factors that played into it. Probably number one was the eradication of wolves because of their, their negative impact on livestock out west. There was government programs to eradicate wolves, which presented a great opportunity for the coyotes to kind of fill that niche. And also at that time, there was a lot of agricultural expansion and that kind of cleared landscape really aided coyotes to expand their range and, and broaden where they occupy. And they actually kind of prefer more open habitats. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. Yeah. So what Lara is saying is we opened up a spot in the food web, right? We got rid of a large predator and now there was a bunch of prey in a habitat that looked like where they wanted to be, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and we'll talk about it too, like the role that coyotes are now they're doing a similar thing here in Florida. Um, and I don't know do, if you want to go there now. Sure. Why not? Let's try it. <laughs> so again, historically in Florida, we used to have wolves here, believe it or not. They're documented the Florida panther as well before we kind of took over and developed all over the state. And those filled a great niche and role and, yeah. and kept predators, I guess, smaller predators, things like raccoons, possums, that maybe... Some of us aren't a huge fan of, they kept those populations in check. And so when those species disappeared or their populations are now very, very small and coyotes have moved in, they're filling that that niche and playing a critical, critical role in keeping, again, some of the species that we might not be huge fans of, things like mice and rats and cats. There's feral cats that they will prey upon as well as domestic cats. And, you know, we'll touch a little bit on that when we talk about um, coexisting with them, but Either way, they're playing a critical role there. Yeah. So what else do they eat? I know they don't just predate other predators. So what else is the rest of their diet made up of? 
Yeah, it's actually really interesting because I feel like when most people think about a coyote, they're like, they gotta be a carnivore and like that's all they're eating. <laughs> but there was actually a study through the Florida Fish and Wildlife they did. They used roadkill, which unfortunately, it's a big reason why a lot of coyotes die. But in looking at their contents of their stomachs, it was only 31% of their diet is made up of these kind of smaller mammal species. And then another, yeah, another big chunk is actually like vegetation. So things like fruit and various other vegetation. One of the other reasons that some farmers in Florida aren't huge fans of coyotes because they actually will eat things like watermelon. And it's like very strange to think about that. (laughs) Yeah, but everyone needs to get their veggies in. That's right. (laughs) The other thing that's like so fascinating to me is 12% of their diet from this study was insects, which is like. Why bother? They're so small. (laughs) I know. I I mean, I guess they do talk about it being like, you know, the future protein source down the road. So it's right. I guess there's some validity there. And then it was there was another 10 percent that was anthropogenic. They labeled it, you know, human related food, whether it was Mm -hmm. food or people getting into garbage cans or not people, coyotes (laughs) getting into garbage cans. So and then smaller percentage was things like birds and uh, various amphibians and reptiles and including fish as well. So it's a very interesting makeup of their diet. It is. But I feel like it does reflect a lot of our other predator species where people, like you said, they just they think of them as carnivores exclusively. Right. And what's really happening with, you know, coyotes is that they're omnivorous. They they're adaptable. They're going to be opportunistic eaters. It's whatever they can get a hold of. And I think that's really fascinating. Yeah. And that's, you know, another piece that aided in that range change is like that they can, they're opportunistic. Like you said, it's like whatever's available, they're just going to eat it. So they make do with what they got. And so that brings me to think about shelter, food, and water. When we're talking about wildlife habitat, animals need those three things to to have a habitat. They need food, water, and shelter. And my question is, does that affect the home range or the territory size of coyotes since we know they're in every county? Yeah, that's a really good question. And, you know, we do have lots of rural areas still in Florida and lots of very urban areas. So actually, the research has specifically looked at this home range size, like how far they have to travel to get those essential needs. And the research shows that for coyotes living in more rural or like natural areas, that their home range is larger than in an urban setting, which to me, like it was kind of counterintuitive at first. But then when you think right. about it, it's like, oh, well, they could, you know, den under your front porch and drink mm-hmm. out of your pool and eat out of your garbage can. Like they don't have to go far in an urban setting. Right. Whereas natural areas, right, in a dry season, they might have to travel miles to find water. Absolutely. Yeah. So so it, it makes sense once you kind of like stop and think about it from all those different criteria that you mentioned before. I would say in my part of the state, in Central Florida and Polk County, we fall largely into that more rural natural area type landscape. We've got a lot of pasture land and natural areas still. And I just don't get a lot of calls from clientele about coyotes. And when I do, it's only ever in our more urban areas like Lakeland or Winter Haven. But that is not the case for you, is it? (laughs) No. And in fact, when I first started my job, that was my boss said, your number one goal is to do coyote outreach and education because people were so up in arms with like this, you know, relatively new species that everyone's very fearful of. So my calls have gone down over time. So I I just say, you know, I'm doing my job, but (laughs) (laughs) 
But I would say, like, definitely, if anyone's on next door, at least in Pinellas County, it is always blowing up with people citing coyotes or, you know, claiming coyotes ate their cat. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely an issue. And and I think regardless, like in rural areas, it could be an issue for those, you know, managing those in the livestock industry. There's sorts of coyotes there. And then obviously in an urban area, like people are fearful for their pets and their own lives. Mm-hmm. And what we've found is when people try and take efforts to like get rid of these coyotes because they don't want them around is it's not effective. It <laughs> just moving, doesn't work. It doesn't work. And there's a, several factors that play into that, which I just want to touch on briefly. So they, so right now, if you're hearing coyotes, there's a reason for that because right now they are having their pups. They have their pups in spring. The average litter size is six, which is a lot in the mammal world. Um, yeah. I've, seen, I've seen 12 and 13 documented for like the maximum. But they Wait, have- Wait, with one coyote mother? <laughs> yes. Oh bless her, my gosh. Bless her soul, yes. <laughs> yeah, and what they found is they have this, what we call like density-dependent reproductive response, which is a fancy way of saying when there's less coyotes in the area, they have more pups. And when the populations are large and they can sense, you know, maybe their resources are limited, they tend to have less pups. And so when people were going in and eradicating coyotes, they would quickly be filled in with the next population or the next Mm. family um, from the territory over. So they're able to reproduce a 10 months old, average litter size of six. (laughs) Both parents raise the young. It's like everything is in the coyote's favor for like, reproduction and population sustainability. Yeah, no kidding. I think with that, it's like a good, one of the things we always like to stress is like coyotes are here to stay. We need to learn to coexist. I know you guys hear that from Shannon and I a lot. We need to learn (laughs) to coexist with these species and coyotes are no exception to that. Yeah, but even though they're here to stay, they do so many good things also, right? So We touched on a little bit in the beginning that they're filling this niche of eating or predating on other species that could be problematic for people. And one one that really comes to mind are the rats and the mice. And so even though they might be eating some native species, we have a lot of non-native rats that they are eating. And it's a perfect prey size for them, especially for the young pups. And so can you imagine, Lara, how many rats would be, especially in those urban areas, because they need so little space? So many. Like, (laughs) I can't. I just can't. And I'm so glad that we have a medium-sized predator in our ecosystem again to help take care of those rats. I mean, we talk about things reproducing like rabbits or reproducing like rats, and coyotes take care of both populations. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I know for me, you know, you alluded to me being like a bird nerd as well. (laughs) Yeah. And we do know whether it's a domestic cat or a feral cat, if it's outside, that they do tremendous harm to a lot of our native species, especially songbirds. And so, again, by having coyotes around to keep those populations in check, especially when it comes to the feral cat population, which at least in Pinellas County is crazy. Um, You know, that's also (laughs) helping to protect the songbirds, which is a huge you know, economic booster for our area. So it's like this huge, I mean, it has this massive ripple effect of the value and importance of coyotes in our area. Now, that's not to say coyotes are always good, right? We know that. Yeah. 
So there are there have been certain cases where they have posed threats to certain rare and endangered species like snowy plovers, burrowing owls, even gopher tortoises, um, sea turtles, uh, their eggs anyway on the nest or yeah. on the beach. So there have been in some of those cases, while I mentioned before, typically eradication efforts are not effective in very specific, like targeted cases and areas, you can have an impact if it's a very targeted effort trying to protect a certain species. So it's not, you know, that's why we're not seeing it like a huge get rid of all the coyotes. It's not overall populations aren't being negatively impacted, but in certain areas we have seen those, those effects. Absolutely. Especially if it's an isolated population for some Mm -hmm. reason, like a small peninsula or an island population. That's another time where you can have a lot of impact on the population level of coyotes. For sure. Yeah. And I would say, too, I know whenever I give presentations, people are always very fearful of rabies Mm -hmm. as it relates to coyotes, which is a valid concern with really all wildlife. But Um, In the case of coyotes, it's extremely, extremely rare for coyotes to have rabies. And what they do find is in the cases where there are coyote attacks, there's rabies is often playing a role in that. But again, the number of attacks are significantly small across the United States, across Florida. It's very, very, very rare. That being said, if you do have a coyote in your neighborhood that seems to be approaching you or getting too close or making anyone uncomfortable, there are things that we can do. So obviously one option is you could hire a wildlife trapper, a certified wildlife trapper to come and remove that one specific nuisance coyote that is effective in, in that sense. But what we like to encourage people to do is some, it's called coyote hazing. I'm not a fan of the term, but it it is what it is. Um, that's if you do any searching on online, that's what you're going to find. And it's basically just reinstilling the fear in the coyote, um, whether that's spraying a hose towards the coyote if it gets close or making a loud noise to scare it off. So it's just you're not inflicting harm on the coyote like we would maybe think of hazing with people. But <laughs> um, right. it's just really to keep that fear in them so that hopefully we don't have attacks or any negative um, interactions with coyotes. Yeah, and with hazing coyotes or other wildlife that we might maybe recommend hazing, like a black bear that is getting too close to your home or something, these are exclusively non-lethal. I just wanted to emphasize that this is not hurting the animal. It is just, like Lara said, trying to build that fear of humans in a way that protects them. So doing non-lethal things to encourage them to be afraid of you in other neighborhood areas, it's generally considered a good thing. Yeah. And of course, right, there's the human aspect of interacting with coyotes, but we also know that people lose pets to coyotes, which can be, you know, most people think of their pets as part of their family and nobody wants to lose a family member. So we always stress different ways that you can protect your pets. So I always say with domestic cats, right? It's it's like the only time I can ever say, I have a 100% guarantee. If you do not let your cat outside, it will not get eaten by a coyote. And I know different counties and cities have different ordinances as it relates to cats being outside. So you'd have to do your own homework. And in some cases, it's technically illegal to even have them outside. But definitely, if you do want to give them outside air, you know, there's what they call quote unquote catios, 
that you can let your cat outside in a screened-in porch area that would keep them safe and protected, but give them exposure to the outside world. Sounds pretty luxurious. I know, right? (laughs) Some of them are. (laughs) Like a little cat spa outside. How exciting. And then when it comes to dogs, for smaller dogs, they're going to be more associated with prey for the coyotes. So you definitely want to be on alert. If you know there's coyotes in the area and you have a small dog, we know dogs need to go outside, do their business. If you have a leash, this really goes for big or small dogs. We recommend no longer than a six foot leash. Keep them close. The ones that extend out and like trip people and get tangled around mailboxes are not (laughs) recommended because if a smaller dog does see a coyote and it's on one of those extendable leashes, its instinct is going to be to run. The coyote's instinct is going to be to chase and we don't want that. So that's our recommendation. And just really keep your eye close. Like if you know you have coyotes again in the neighborhood and you're letting your dogs outside to do their business, just, you know, keep a close eye on them. Have those coyote hazing tools around if if needed. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so there's some little, you know, pretty easy things that we can do to keep our pets safe. Speaking of letting your dog out and keeping them safe when you're doing that, we tend to let our dogs out before work and after we get home. And for most of the year, that also usually coincides with sunrise and sunset. Coyotes are also most active at dawn and dusk. They're known as crepuscular, which I always have trouble saying, Lara. <laughs> crepuscular, it's like my favorite word. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. It just means a species that's most active in the evening and in the morning, twice a day. And so if you're in an area where you know there are regular coyote sightings because you have a robust population, keep that leash close at hand and don't let them, you know, go off sniffing and smelling every bush in your yard at sunrise. It's just a good practice. Better to be cautious. Now, all that said, (laughs) coyotes, just because they're in the area, much like in our alligator episode, just because you have coyotes does not mean they're necessarily a problem. Yeah. They could just be existing and eating pests and doing great. Coyotes are really intelligent. They're very smart critters. And they teach each other their hunting techniques and what prey is good in an area. So if you have a pack of coyotes in your community that's not causing a problem, you don't want to disrupt them. (laughs) This is not a, a group of coyotes you would want to call a trapper for because the next group that comes in, because remember, Lara said there will be another group. Yeah. That next group that comes in might be more accustomed to hunting pets or other things that you care about or eating your watermelons. Whatever the the food item of choice is, allowing that new pack to come in could cause more problems than the one you're currently dealing with. And this is how a lot of our ranchers out in my neck of the woods deal with coyotes. If they have them, well, they do have them because they're everywhere. Um, <laughs> they just let them do their thing. But as soon as they start seeing predation issues with their livestock, then they look into how do we get rid of these nuisance coyotes and hope that the next pack that comes in doesn't go after our livestock. Mm-hmm. So that's just just a couple of little thoughts from your natural resources agents on <laughs> letting the predators be predators, but hopefully they're eating things that you're not super attached to. Yeah. And and. I guess that's kind of, it is a good way to wrap up, which is 
coyotes are only going to be attracted to the things like Shannon mentioned, the food, water, shelter, especially in an urban setting. So if you do have your garbage can or pet food or anything that you tend to leave out, anything that's going to attract coyotes, we just want to take that attraction away Mm -hmm. to eliminate potential negative conflicts with coyotes. And hopefully you guys can learn to love them, at least like I do. I don't know exactly where Shannon stands on it, but... I'm so excited whenever I see a coyote that's not roadkill. I'm going to be completely honest. They usually are. But (laughs) when I get to see one in a field or next to a creek or, you know, by the Peace River, it makes me really excited to have that predator back. And I know not everyone's going to feel that way, like you said. But personally, I get excited about it. I think they're pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And just keep your ears out. It's again, they're having their pups now. There's going to be lots of yipping and barking and... Do keep in mind, they're also pretty territorial, especially this time of year, too. So observe and enjoy from a distance. Yes. Be safe. Thanks for listening to Naturally Florida, a podcast about Florida's natural areas and the wild things that live here. Stay updated on new episodes by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend. Naturally Florida is produced by your hosts, Shannon Carnavali and Lara Milligan. If you have questions or suggestions, submit them online at naturallyfloridapodcast.com. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Florida's Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences Extension, an equal opportunity institution. Thank you for listening.